You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. I've spent so much time traveling the borders of North Dakota. Grew up in Fargo, moved to Bismarck, was there 37 years, got involved in economic development, policymaking, politics. Would go back and forth from Fargo to Bismarck on a regular basis because of business and other interests that always were important to me. Somewhere in there, I'm at a mayor's meeting, I think it was. I just know that Mayor Mahoney, still the mayor of Fargo, was at the top of the Loretta building, some kind of a gathering, had entrepreneurs talking. And I think at the time, the guy was actually talking about Myriad or Myriad Mobile or something. I can't even remember. But I was just captivated by this young guy, his energy, his knowledge, and his vision for agriculture. Now I think the name of the company is actually Bushel. I'll have him correct me. But I have been a fan of this guy ever since. He came over to Bismarck, got involved in the Disrupt Well Summit. I think he won. I can't remember for sure. He can refresh my memory on that too. So it is just an absolute pleasure to have with me today on Mike Seminary and Friends, Jake Jornstad, the co-founder and CEO of Bushel. Jake, it's great to see you. How are you today? Doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me. And uh, appreciate that uh, warm introduction. Well, it's a pleasure. I just, I, I'll never forget the day I saw you. I thought, this guy is really special. And, and you're, you're proving my opinion correct, by the way. So before we go very far, help me with the connection between Myriad, Myriad Mobile and Bushel. And was I right in my, the way I teed that up? Yeah, I think so. So my co-founder, Ryan Raguse, and I, uh, both at NDSU, met each other in business, not in school, started Myriad Mobile back in 2011. It was even called Myriad Devices at the time. It's a long story. We've changed our name many times, but it's been the same company for the last 11 years. Uh, we've evolved and grown um, Myriad Devices to Myriad Mobile. People used to think we sold cell phones. We were trying to build mobile software. It was very confusing. We, we learned a little bit more about, about branding later on. Um, but when we went from Myriad Mobile to Bushel, it was this, it was significant for us because we had committed as a company to not just build software for anybody and anyone who has money, which was our strategy at first, but to actually build software for the agriculture industry and focusing in on what you'd call those broad acre crops in the U.S., corn, soybeans, barley, wheat, et cetera, the large row crops and grain and oil seeds. So that's where we started to focus in 2018, 19. We changed our brand to Bushel, which we think is a pretty great name. If you can believe it, we have the trademark in the U.S. and Canada and Brazil and Australia and England. It's just crazy that we could even have that trademark in software. So uh, pretty excited. Actually, just shows how undervalued um, and underinvested in agriculture software has been. Yeah, because that name shouldn't have been available, is what is, is your point, right? It shouldn't have been available. And now, I wasn't going to ask this question because I, I wouldn't have thought about it until what you just said. So first of all, instead of being a player of all, you wanted to master one, and you got involved in the ag space bushel. But when Great Plains Software 
in the early days, wasn't wasn't that pretty much an ag uh, program that the, the now Governor Burgum, that Doug Burgum was marketing at? Wasn't specifically for ag? Yeah, the the history of Great Plains and then of others, you know, agriculture companies here in Fargo and Bushel is pretty crazy. Great Plains, yes, there was a time when it was built for grain elevators. Um, and obviously the, the Bergen family had Arthur companies at the time as well, a grain elevator business that's grown to be significant here in North Dakota now. That was part of their early days. And then they became broadly accounting software and of course went public and did amazing things and acquired by Microsoft. And now it's part of what you'd call Microsoft Dynamics GP. That's Great Plains. Um, what's even crazier is in 2022, we have... 10 to, you know, about 200 and some customers on our platform. Those are grain companies and co-ops, ethanol plants, mills, and a whole bunch of them, like probably 10% or more are using Great Plains software <laughs> as their core ERP system. And we have to integrate with the software that we know was built in the 70s, 80s, and 90s in North Dakota uh, in Fargo. So it's a crazy uh, story about how things come all the way around. Well, you're going to have to decide whether you're going to continue our conversation or not after I tell you this. I was actually interviewed for a marketing role at Great Plains Software. Stu Hansen or something, I can't exactly remember his name, interviewed me when they were located. I think it was maybe in the AAA buildings, somewhere out towards the interstate. That's where they were located at the time. They had 17 or 18 employees. And I'd, I thought, I don't think they're going to make it. I, don't, I, just, I, don't, I just don't know if this company's going to make it. Shows you what I know, right? <laughs> so hey, There's a lot of ways you can fail that early. I can tell you that. Oh, sure. And you probably will share some of those with us. Jake, I'm just fascinated with, with what you're doing. And my next question, I'm going to tee up this way. At an event recently, the comment was made by Barry Batchelor that in 1776, 98% of the entire population of our country was involved in agriculture, 2% not. Now the numbers are exact, it's exact reverse. 2% involved in agriculture. And they have a, they have a heavy lift in responsibility, the our country is responsible for producing a lot of what the world depends on in terms of daily substance. We're still the breadbasket in North Dakota and, uh, you know, southern Canada, just above us, really large players. As, as, I, as I share that, when you and your partner started your, your company a little over 11 years ago, and then you shifted to ag specifically. How how did you see your role in helping producers with that heavy responsibility? So Barry's point of 98% agriculture related work to now less than 2%, it's quite a bit less than 2% maybe even today. That's really important because at the same time, we have produced more food and more, more agriculture products than ever before with less than 2% of the whole uh, of our, you know, of our country working on this problem. And that's incredible. We, you know, 
the Western Hemisphere between the U.S. and Brazil, we probably could feed most of the world ourselves. We have incredible amounts of food that we can create with the productivity of our land. We've been in great shape for a long time with the land we have in North Dakota. We have so much variety of uh, product we can grow here. We're number one in 10 different crops in the U.S. We're number one in uh, bee or honey production. Uh, I mean, there's some incredible stats. And the reason we have honeybees here is because we've got to po- uh, pollinate the uh, canola crops and other things that we have here in North Dakota that are unique. There's just so much incredible um, progress that's been made in the last really a hundred years. And if you think about, you know, the, the core challenge and kind of our vision at Bushel and how we get to, how do we help solve this problem is the last hundred years in agriculture has been incredible from a physical infrastructure standpoint. We have built the railroads, which changed the way we moved product, by the way, without the railroads, we couldn't get food anywhere. Um, especially back then. I mean, imagine, you know, a dirt road covered wagon trying to deliver, crops around the world. It's not possible. And so the rail really changed um, how we thought about that. Then we had the river system, the, the barge and the exporting capability um, through that. The, the online or the, the storage that we brought um, to the farm into the facilities, these big elevators. If you travel rural uh, America, the tallest building in the area is probably a grain elevator, might be a customer of ours. Um, that, that work, that investment has um, enabled this efficiency to be possible. But there's a time that comes, which is about now, where the amount of physical investment you can make is no longer returning significantly um, any more than, you know, than it used to. So we've got a challenge of how do we get more efficient and effective in agriculture post-industrial evolution? We've got the tractor. We have these massive combines that can do all these acres. But there's, not, there's a limit on physically investing before it gets to be, okay, what other areas can we make significant progress in. And our belief at Bushel is the next 100 years in agriculture, and really, if you think about technology speak, it's maybe more like 10. 10 10 years in in technology is a long time. That's as long as I've even been in this business. Um, And it's changed a lot. When we started, it was mobile apps were just coming out. Today, it's pervasive everywhere. Your Android, your iPhone is the way you do business a lot of times. This next 10 years is when agriculture needs to adopt digital tools. We are dead last in agriculture as a major industry in the world in terms of digitizing the process. So imagine you're a farmer in 2017 or even today. You go, you call your facility on the phone. Maybe you text them, maybe Snapchat, but you call the facility. You say, I want to sell some grain today or I want to sell some grain this fall. And you have the conversation. You agree to something. A contract comes in the mail, delivered to your house via gasoline, probably to your mailbox in the middle of nowhere. Maybe it's a post office in town. And you go in and you get this contract from the mail. And then you're supposed to open it up, read through it, sign it, package it back up into an envelope, put it in the mail, and send it back. And that's the normal way that a farm operation is doing a contract in paper. And then it's all done. You've delivered your grain, which by the way, every delivery, you got a scale ticket. You have to keep track of on the farm. It could be hundreds or thousands of these receipts on delivery to figure out how much you've delivered against X amount of contracts, which are all in paper sitting on your desk and trying to figure out, okay, what, especially if you're a multi thousand acre farm, there's a lot going on. And you're trying to figure out if you delivered enough grain, if the quality is good enough, where, where you're getting docked. And then when it's all done, 
A paper check is printed, signed, sent in the mail to you. You're in Florida on vacation. That that check sits in the mailbox for two weeks and you come home and you finally get that $30,000, dollars $100,000 check gets deposited. That is how agriculture still operates in a vast majority uh, of what we see today. And it's 2022. When's the last time you wrote a check to your kids? Probably you sent it on Venmo. And so there's a lot of a lot of work to be done. And so what we believe at Bushel is that if we can help our grain customers, the, 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 the middlemen who do all this work to move grain from a farm to a facility and get it to the right places in the supply chain, those co-ops, the local ethanol plants, the mills, um, the crushing plants, all those players, if we can help them adopt these digital tools, it will make the farmer's life easier. Therefore, the farmer can be more effective at doing what they do best, which is growing crops. And it will make the facilities more efficient in ways they haven't invested in yet, which is using digital software to do the job. And then we can create some more forward progress. Um, and someday we think we can start to automate some of those tasks and make it easier for the farmer and the facility to do business and less about um, all this time spent um, kind of doing inefficient things. And so there's a lot of work to be done in that area. Jake, that, uh, that's a fabulous uh, snapshot of the progress in, in the industry. And it leads me to ask this question. By the way, I'm going to ask you a question about you and Ryan a- after this. In an industry where a fair amount of early adopters exist, agriculture, you know, Absolutely. self-steering, all that kind of thing in terms of... In the of, 90s, they were driving tractors and combines. In the 90s, they were driving these vehicles in the field with autonomous yeah. you know, steering. This has been around a long time. Talk about early adopters. So why is this kind of the last frontier? Is it because nobody thought of it? Or there are bigger fish to fry, so to speak, when it comes to the operation of the farm? Well, I think traditionally there was still a lot of gains and maybe still are in some cases, a lot of gains to be had by investing in better equipment, better storage, um, et cetera. And that your, your ability to market your grain at a price and your ability to do the paperwork was just, how, that was just how you did it. That's how grandpa did it. That's how dad did it. We always just sat down and, and, and wrote it up on paper, but the difference now is the farms are only getting larger, right? The, the consolidation of a small farm is now becoming a big farm and consolidating all over. And you can't run an operation in your head anymore. When, when my family's farmstead, uh, our, we had Nor- Norwegians moved from Norway all the way to Surus, North Dakota, about as far north as you can get in the United States of America at the time, um, literally seeing into Canada, and they homesteaded. And we have today still those 200 and some original acres. That was, that's a lot of land if you're doing, you know, pulling it by a horse and a plow. But even the tractors that I got to drive from the 80s and 90s this last week up at the farm doing, doing oats, you know, those things are incredible compared to what we had back then. And this is a 1980s John Deere 8820. Like this is an old combine. And uh, I was getting oats pulled up off the field um, after we already swathed them. So we've made two passes. That's incredibly efficient. And then to get a huge 
you know, massive combine today you can get to do that same work. We've just made a lot of progress. And there was those areas where you needed to invest if you were going to build more than a 200 acre farm. And there's a limit to what you need if you only have 200 acres. And so now we are there. Now we've gotten these thousands of acres farms. They've gotten a lot of the equipment updated. And now it's like, okay, where else can we invest? And they start to think about their crop marketing, how much time they're spending doing paperwork, wondering why they have to call the facility so many times to reconcile with what happened and why are their mistakes still happening. And the realization has come that software and technology can actually make that process way more efficient and effective. And the farmer's not spending hours of their day talking about how to fix some error, but they're just self-serving it on their phone or they should be. They can see the price, they can sign a contract, they can see their deliveries. That's the best way we think we can do it. Hmm. When you decided to attend NDSU, if I recall, you were studying computer engineering. What was agriculture, was the industry that you grew up, you know, part of your background, your family, was that in the rearview mirror or do you, were you going to combine computer engineering and agriculture? What were you thinking in the early days of your of your uh, life at NDSU? Yeah, before and before even thinking about starting the company, it was agriculture was definitely a rear view mirror. Both family farms, um, my mom and dad's side, grandparents were farming the the small hobby farm in Surus, and then a larger operation in Westop on my mom's side, cattle, etc. Grew up around it, but I wasn't on it. I was the city kid from Rolla, a town of 1,500 people. Um, uh, that <laughs> I, had, I had relatives who knew farming, not me, right? That was not my thing. And I was going to go work for Google and or Microsoft and uh, try to get a job there. Um, turns out that was hard for me to do, so that never even happened. But I attempted, and that was why I went to computer engineering. I had a knack for understanding technology. I was typically a very early adopter. You know, early enough where it kind of is on the bleeding edge where sometimes stuff doesn't work because you're adopting it too early. That was me. Um, definitely in college, uh, helping build computers for my friends, repairing old Xboxes that were broke in my dorm room. That stuff I enjoyed. So that was my computer engineering passion. But it, I realized that software was like this magical thing where you could literally create something from nothing by just having a computer and, and some ideas. And that's where the passion started and it eventually without me ever thinking this was going to be the case ended up that agriculture was the area that we realized we could be the most helpful in. Where did this curiosity gene that you have come from? Is it your dad's side, your mom's side, or did you, is, are you the first and only in the family that has it? How, how, where'd you get that? It's a good question. Certainly the <clears throat> farming operations on both sides those are big risk takers. They've been running a farm for many, many years. But there's not an entrepreneurial, you know, history in our family per se beyond the farm. Um, so it's a good question. I was, I remember my mom and my uncle, Jim, uh, her brother, very worried about me starting a company and very worried about me in the early days um, that maybe I should just get a job. I graduated NDSU computer engineering, just barely. My 2.7 GPA was my four and a half year average GPA at NDSU, so not great. Um, I graduated, not exactly sure when I walked if I was gonna graduate, but I did. And my mom asked me at graduation, 
um, if I was going to update my resume and, and go and get a job. And I said, Mom, I have 15 or maybe it was 20 people employed at the time, paying myself, certainly less than my friends were making in engineering, but I was paying myself. I said, Mom, I'm building the company. I'm not, I'm not going to go work somewhere else. We're, we're on a path to do this. And so it took her, and I had been working on it for three years, so it took my mom quite a bit of time to finally believe me that this could be a, a real career path for me as building my own company. And there was all kinds of times when it was really hard, of course. But uh, Was that was Myriad at the time? Did you just describe the very beginning days of Myriad? Is that what Yes, you- that was the beginning. In 2011 to 2014, we were kind of in the earliest days, and I graduated in 2012, so we had officially be created a company about a year and a half before um, I graduated uh, from NDSU. So that's you and Ryan. You, you, yep. you had co-founded that company. How did the two of you meet and decide that that you complement each other well enough that you could form a partnership? Because that's not easy. No. And 11 years in, we're still partnered in the business, which is even crazier to think that we've you know, I've known Ryan and been around Ryan more than my wife. And my wife and I have been married 10 years. And Ryan and I have probably spent significantly more time together these last 11 years. Um, we, the, the foundation for it was we were both competitors. We, we actually met. I found out about Ryan's company because he was underbidding a project that we were trying to win. And he had come in under the price. And this is in the early days. We were both underpriced. We should have been, you know, there's no, nobody was going to make money on this deal, but we didn't know that at the time. So our bid might've been like a thousand or $1,500 to do this project. And his was a thousand or $500. So it was under ours. And I was like, who, who is this other company in town trying to build mobile apps and trying to compete with us? And eventually Ryan and I, and his partner and my partners at the time, a couple of professors, we got together and talked about why, you know, maybe we should work together, maybe we're competitors. It was a weird beginning. But what we found was Ryan and I actually both got along really well. And we actually went and did some joint pitches together. There's an early slide deck that has my logo, Myriad Devices, and Ryan's logo, App Squatch. App Squatch, by the way, was his name, his company. On the same slide deck, imagine the customer getting a pitch from two different companies that can't agree on anything. So they put both their logos on the front. I'm sure it was confusing. I'm sure I don't think we got the deal either. Um, but we learned that we were like really got along well. So we just kind of naturally started working together. Ryan was more of a business and sales background, and I was more of a technology and project background. And we actually, over the last 11 years, have flip flopped those roles multiple times. Some days, some years, I'm the business focused guy, and, and, and some, some years, Ryan is, and vice versa. It's quite the relationship, but that started as competitors. We eventually just put the two companies together in 2011 and said, we're just going to do this. Together. Well, now to Bushel. And I'm going to paint this picture first and then throw in a question. So you have over 2,000 uh, clients, I'm going to call it, yeah. representing over 60,000 farmers. And you're just getting started. I mean, because this is a big space. You're involved in you made the decision to be involved in agriculture instead of you know player of all could could you think of a better 
place to be than the Fargo, North Dakota area. Because here in this ecosystem, you have farmers who are the greatest entrepreneurs on the planet, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes by necessity, many times by choice. A and then farmer ag background folks that really took the ag industry in it and talk about value add, you know, the Howard Dolls, Amity Technology, their relatives. I, I could keep listing them, the Steiger Tractors, yeah. the Doug Bergham. Bobcat, Great Plains, <laughs> Titan, RDO. There's just an incredible list of agriculture innovators in our region. Do you think you could be, could you be in a better place to absorb information, knowledge, rub shoulders with people that I get, I, I, I'm on your side, you guys. Could you be in a better place? No, not in terms of building an agriculture company. There's better places to try to start a company when people will, are more willing and open-minded to being an entrepreneur. But Fargo, in particular, the last 10 years, that's changed a lot and it's been a great place to be. In the earliest days, it was a battle because people didn't understand why a student at NDSU would want to try to start something. There was a lot of weird... Um, there was not a lot of support for these things. Even my professors had a really hard time supporting me doing this instead of doing what they needed me to do. And there, there was a lot of challenges in the early days. But in terms of being an agriculture-focused software business, I can't think of a better place on earth to build from. The variety, the history, the, this, the foundation of that, that this region of North Dakota has been built on in agriculture, the, the, basically these heroes of, of people and companies that have built incredible things. I mean, I saw an old Steiger tractor uh, this up north this weekend, uh, last week. And uh, th that stuff was built in this region. And it's incredible. And some of it's still going and still making an impact. And so the inspiration is here. The sort of the, you can look out and say, hey, somebody did it bigger and better. So that means my goals can be higher. Um, that's really cool. And, mm -hmm. you know, Great Plains on the software side is certainly one of the best inspirations um, here. We still meet people all the time. There's some ex-Great Plains people who work at Bushel that just remember how great that company was and what it did for the region and the, the big events they hosted here in Fargo. They brought all their customers and vendors here for Stampede. People still remember that event being this incredible cultural experience. And so um, we're hoping to mimic some of that stuff and, and build something great as well. I'm going to talk about Bushel and your team members in a second. I think you're now north of 200 people on your team. But going back to what, in a way, to what you were just saying, these titans of the industry that were on the shoulders of the people that came before them, you know, the, the Ron Offits, the Jay Schulers, I could, I, and the list, I could just yeah. keep going on and on. But there is something in the last 10 years or so that, really started to change in the valley when it came to that entrepreneurial ecosystem and the spirit and the connectivity that's so important. Sometimes I think it was part of the formulation of the Valley Prosperity Group in terms of Bill Marshall and his vision and how to bring the valley together. Sometimes I think it was the Jay Schulers and the Howard Dolls of the world that um, – we're trying to find the best talent they could and, and Doug Burgum and so on. But I, here's the other thing I think that happened. You and Greg Tavine and some others, 
during the course of the last 10 years are people that made a decision to stay and really, really drive a stake in the ground and make a statement about this is the perfect place for us. Yeah, there are some places that have some, some more interesting attributes, but this is the perfect place. Would you agree with what I just said that the, now, now you can't say yeah because I stayed, but I'm just saying that this next generation of leadership really changed the ecosystems in the Fargo-Moorhead area. You guys did, Jake. Well, I ch was choosing to try to get a job at Microsoft or, or Google. They didn't allow me to have those jobs, so that was partially why I was still here. I think if I would have gotten those jobs, I might have been in Seattle for a while, and it would have been a different situation, right? And so I'm kind of thankful that that didn't happen because I decided to build a company here after a, an internship or two in Fargo. I went out on my own and did that. Uh, my first job was Fargo Automation here in Fargo building software as an intern. I got laid off with the with the team at the time. Uh, my old boss Kevin's building the company today. Another one has been successful along the way as well. That starting point was unique for me. And I was like a prototype for how to go and navigate a startup community that was being built at the time. Greg always referred, Greg Devine and Emerging Prairie was starting at the same time. Greg and I and some friends kind of came up with this idea of Emerging Prairie. We thought it was going to be a news company in the early days, to be fair. It became a cultural sort of entrepreneurial focused, how do we support entrepreneurs? How do we elevate what's happening on the risk takers of our community and bring culture together. Greg was a major visionary for that. And I was always a prototype. What, well, if it works with, with, with Jake and the team at Bushel or Myriad Mobile, uh, maybe it can work for, for others. Like we would always test things in ours. We tested programs and ideas and we, we try to show up and support. And so we kind of jointly worked on that. And to your point, Mike, it was built on this, the, the backs of giants that have built this community up to what it is. I mean, it's kind of a, uh, it's like, it's an un, it was an under uh, represented or maybe a, we have this weird culture where we don't want to brag about what's been done here. And so Greg, I would say, has been out there digging up those stories and trying to tell the world how great this place really is, even though those people maybe haven't been as forward about what they've been up to. Um, and that's been a part of I think inspiring entrepreneurs in the region to say, hey, I'm going to build a company here because these people did it. And here's those great stories that we didn't know before. I mean, it's hard to get these some of these uh, old timers to brag about what they've done. It's hard. And Greg's <laughs> digging those stories out and trying to tell the world about it. Yeah, if, if you're not at the um, Mabel's Coffee Shop at 6 or 6.30 in the morning somewhere, just before, either they're taking a break or they're getting a late start before they, they get all to the fields. But there's like eight, nine, ten of them are uh, at the table having coffee, really, really black coffee, and yep. either monster cookies or some kind of fresh homemade pie. That's where you can learn a lot. They're talking a lot about, well, I didn't, well, what happened? Oh, you know, I broke this thing here. I invented this and went, oh, all of a sudden there's me, Bobcat. I mean, that, that's kind of what happened. So you and well, Ron, and you've, got, you've got guys like guys like Ron, often who, who you if you ever meet the guy, shake his hand, he'll tell you he's a tractor salesman. <laughs> Runs the largest 
Honda dealership in the world. <laughs> and he has sold a lot of tractors. <laughs> I guess that part's true. Yeah, it, is, it, it is true. The, uh, for you and Ryan, uh, not too long ago you had 11 employees. Now you have a couple hundred team members. Where are you finding them? What makes Bushel so attractive for them? And do talk a little bit about your culture before I, I want you to start talking about some of the solutions and applications that you have at Bushel. So about 150, maybe 170 people on our team out of just over 200 are based in this region, in Fargo, Moorhead, this area, some in Bismarck, some, some in Minnesota side. The the advantage we had in the you know pre-COVID especially was that we were a software company, a techie company that had a good culture, and we think we still have that today. And that's why people wanted to work here. When we when we opened a, a job posting, even today, hundred hundred plus applications sometimes, right? Hundreds of applications, and we've had a a unique opportunity to be a high growth. Larger company, we're not the largest company in Fargo, but certainly we're on the higher end of employment now as you're over 200 people and and people want to work here. And we have that unique advantage because we're, we're, we're a tech company in Fargo. If we were a tech company in Seattle or San Francisco, we don't have that advantage because everybody's one of those companies. And so being in Fargo and being somewhat unique in that area is is valuable. It's been really helpful in our recruiting and our ability to grow the team. And we've been willing to hire young people and people with less experience over the years because in mobile, what we were focused on at first building software in mobile was not a, you didn't have 10 years in mobile. Like 10, the, the, the iPhone came out in like 07, 08 and the app store came out a little while after. So nobody had 10 years of experience. So there was some um, opportunities for us there where we were just hiring young talent. Post COVID, we're finding people that come to work at Bushel because they have an agriculture background but are passionate technologists and see the value that can be created in helping agriculture move forward in this area. And so we have a lot of people from Texas and Colorado and Nebraska, you can imagine Iowa and Illinois, where, where they're working from there and joining our team remotely. Um, but their passion is always, there's some connection to agriculture, their family farm, or they're still helping around. There's some connection, but they're technologists and We, you know, Bushel is one of those few places. There's not a lot of agriculture technology companies in the United States and certainly less that are 200 people. Um, so we've had that unique opportunity to bring those people's passions together here, too. Let's talk about some of your 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 applications. Um, you know, I, I could list them, you know, mobile fulfillment, website trade. But the one the one I'd like you to talk a little bit about or any other for that matter, is the Bushel Wallet. When, when I, I, I went to the website, I read real-time money movement between agribusinesses and farmers. I said to myself, that's a big deal. So, so it, it, walk through how that thing works. Well, three years ago, we had made some good progress on the Bushel mobile or the Bushel tools that you might know today. If you're a farmer in North Dakota or Minnesota, and you sell it to a facility, you might be using our app. It's a white labeled for that company. So you'll see a border egg or a, you know, whatever co-op application. And you can see your scale tickets and your contracts and your supplements for grain. And you might be able to see your purchases on invoices, and you're buying 
fertilizer and fuel. You can see it in the tool, what you purchased, et cetera. That's what we started with. And we have over 60,000 farms in the U.S. and Canada using that tool. That was the foundation for where we got momentum and progress. And there's a lot of work to be done there still. We started with letting you, you know, see your cash bid, see your futures price as a farmer, see your contracts you're getting locked in. Eventually, you got to be able to sign those contracts on our tool with the electronic signature right in the app, getting a huge adoption of that. And then we said, okay, you should be able to sell your grain through this tool as well. So submitting an offer like you're selling, you know, you're like you're buying a, um, a stock on Robinhood or something. You go in, you pick a, pick a price you like. And you submit the offer, and if the market moves and hits that price, it's going to sell for you to that facility. That's the kind of tools we've built. That's called trade. The, the problem, though, the last frontier, in our opinion, in terms of digitizing the tools, is if you did all that with us, and you, and you, you signed your contract electronically, and you submitted your offers, and you saw your tickets electronically on your phone, you still had a paper check come in the mail. And that's when we started working on wallets. So three years ago, we had this idea, and we saw all of these fintech opportunities, they call them fintech, right? Technology and financials, uh, to be able to figure out why agriculture was so paper-based on the check. I mean, there's not, I can't think of another place where 90% of the payments are paper check. That's crazy. Um, and it's this year, $250 billion will be paid to farmers in the US, maybe 300 billion with the prices they are. And it'll be on paper check. And we said, how can we, well, like, what's the problem? And it turns out nobody, in fintech, these Silicon Valley companies like a Stripe or a PayPal or whoever, none of them have even woke up in the morning and thought about agriculture, let alone spend any time, money, or, or passion in that area. And so it was obvious to us that we need to help our customers. And that check writing process requires people and paper and time. And when there's a check that doesn't get deposited in time or has to be remitted, there's all these problems. Instead of what if we can help move the money? And so we started to build this tool about two years ago, launched it this summer, uh, lets the farmer simply, instead of, you know, the scary part about ACH in agriculture is the farmer's always worried that they're, type, they're writing down their account number, their routing number, they're putting their signature on, and that's how you get enrolled in, in ACH to get paid. And then in those payments, you can't get paid for a settlement that has a lien on it. So if you've got a bank loan on the farm assets, that are related to grain, you can't even get an electronic payment. You have to get a paper check, have somebody else sign it, and then you sign it, then you put it in your bank. So now you're taking an hour of your day, two hours of your day every week, run around depositing checks. It, some people, obviously farms aren't in the city, so they're driving 10, 20, 50, 100 miles to get money to the bank, right? So all these challenges. And our job was how can we just make it simple, secure, and easy for the farmer to be working with their facility that uses Bushel, enroll in electronic payments. They can do it in less than three minutes and they'll be signed up. And now the facility can pay them a vast majority of their payments. We're still working on the lien problem with the loans, but the rest of your payments can be done on the platform. And so you can say, hey, I'd like this payment to come electronically or the facilities say, hey, we're only gonna do electronic payments and they pay the farmer, shows up uh, in your bushel wallet, and then you can put it in whatever bank account you want. You can add up to six banks all through your app. Super easy. Just like it's, think about it like a Venmo experience or a PayPal experience where you sign up one time. And let's say you sell the two co-ops as a farmer. The other problem was you had to get two different ACH accounts set up. And if you ever move banks, God forbid you have to go back and get all those set up again. 
And so this whole direct deposit thing is a mess. And so now the farmer, they sign up on time with our tool bushel wallet, the facility's using it to pay the farmer. And if they sell to another facility, that's, they just have to say, well, actually the, the other facility that's using payments can just pay the farmer because they know they have an account with us. And so there's no double effort. There's no changing. If you want to change your bank that's connected to the wallet, you just change it. You just go yourself and add another bank account. You type in your name and password of that bank and it shows up just like your credit card payments or something like that. Hmm. And so that's the solution. They get a debit card in the mail. They can spend the money immediately. Technically, the facility can pay you real time. If they want to move the money today, they can do that and pay you right now. But a lot of times you'll get it scheduled. You'll know it's coming. It says, hey, your payment's been scheduled for Thursday. And then it just shows up and just how you should be. And if you're in Florida, guess what? You still got the money. <laughs> See, I, I'm going to come back and ask you about the request a demo on the website, which is bushelpower.com. But I, I want to go back to, and I, sh I apologize for going back. I should have asked it immediately. What specifically happened or what conversations specifically took place between you and Ryan when the decision was made ag space exclusively or as exclusively as possible? What exactly caused that? Well, we, about in 2015, we had made a decision to focus a little bit. And we had, we had done business in every kind of industry you can think of. We had 700 projects under our belt by the time we had went to focus on agriculture. But in 2015, we said, let's pick some industries and focus. We picked five industries as if that's somehow a focus. We didn't realize, but we thought that was a big deal to make five. We had like insurance, education, agriculture, manufacturing, and, and, and healthcare. I think it was like, like as if we're going to be experts in all of those areas. <laughs> Such a broad set of topics anyways. And we said, okay, that's going to be our focus. But when we looked at the numbers, our work in agriculture was growing significantly every year. And we would more often than not win projects that were ag-related, whether it was a co-op. We were working with Mindac Farmers Co-op in the early days, helping them on the sugar beet side of their business, helping the farmer do business with them. We had built a product in the early days that we ended up selling virtual farm managers, farm management software. It was, not, it was successful in users, but not as a business model. We sold it off. Um, we had tried all these things, but we realized we were like pretty good in the ag world. And Ryan, growing up on the farm and still helping his dad farm every year, he's pretty passionate about it as well, right? And he had the realization about 2015, he started talking about it. What if we could build a great tool for the farmer but the facility was the value, the one that was paying for it and made it easy for the farmer, just like we have our bank app. You know, when you have your, you, you used to have to go to the ATM to get a balance and get money. To deposit check, you had to go in person. To transfer money, you had to make a phone call. Then you finally got the mobile app from your bank and you could do all that. And we said, what if we did that for the egg industry and help the co-ops and grain companies do that with their farmer? Mm -hmm. And Ryan was pushing that idea in 2015. It took us till mid 2016 to take it really seriously and Ryan convinced everybody that this would be a great opportunity and I helped communicate the message to the broader team we started a small team working on it convinced a few customers to give us a, a commitment to, to use our tool if we built it then we built it first version early days and in 2017 we were all in we said I think this is the best product we could build right now and we kept pursuing we raised money 
um, investment money at that point. We hadn't really raised money before. Um, we had done this company from scratch ourselves, and uh, that was a game changer. That idea, Ryan's idea on what Bushel would become was the main innovation that happened, was the thinking around how to build that product. Hmm. That's just so fascinating. <laughs> so back to the website, which is bushelpower.com. And if I go to the Bushel Wallet page and I hit request a demo, I fill out that information. What happens after I do that? Yeah, so if you're a facility, our team will set up a call with you. We'll walk you through what the tool can do, and we'll, we'll let you decide if Bushel Wallet would be helpful for you and your farmers. It's you know They'll give you a demo on how simple it is to pay a farmer. Uh, you literally just search for the latest farm payment you want to do with, with Farmer John, and you push pay now. Um, uh, on the, if you're a farmer, we'll show you how to get Bushel Wallet and convince your grain company to sign up. The thing is, it's a network problem and it's a catch-22 because we've got to have both the farmer and the facility wanting to use these tools for us to be successful. So we're currently marching down the path of getting our first uh, 10 companies to use the tool and then the first 1,000 maybe farmers using the tool. So we're in the earliest days. This is what you call product market fit sizing. You're trying to figure out how to make it work for everybody. Um, we've got our first three or four companies using the tool now and they can go in and just pay their farmer. They literally say, Hey, farmer John's enrolled in payments. I could pay him a settlement today. And, uh, it's, it's that easy. So that's the kind of demo that we would give you. And then hopefully, um, you're interested going into 2022 or 2023 to use this tool, um, to make it easier to manage payments to your farmers. That's <laughs> our goal. So, so we're in this digital world and trying to digitize some of the most important operations in terms of farmer. That's how you get paid, for example. That's pretty darn important. Uh, not that the other parts of the operation are not. I, here's my question. And, and you're still in that phase where even though you have 200 plus team members, you still have the potential to explode, become a, a, a monster-sized company. How are you marketing and selling? Is is it a hybrid between doing a lot of it virtually, like we're doing right now, or are there trade shows? Or are you, if, you know, belly to belly at the uh, Mabel's coffee shop where the guys are having donuts at, and gals? Sorry, I, I didn't mean to sound so sexist. Or you're in you're in the um, the corporate boardroom of one of your potential corporate clients. How are you doing all of that? I think you just described all the methods that we're always attempting. Um, there's not an easy answer. Definitely before COVID, every, we would always be in person. If we could get the meeting in person, we would do it in person. And that meant going to, you know, bum nowhere, Nebraska, and meeting with the co-op. And so ideally you get meeting with the general managers or you work with the grain team or the agronomy groups to understand what we can provide for value and over time, we, we get them convinced. We've been doing online demos for a long time, and we still have our initial meetings, either phone calls or or maybe a Zoom or something like this with the customer. But eventually, we still a lot of times get in person for a final opportunity. Um, the bigger companies are more capable on the remote side, but the, the, the regionals, the small, medium players, they want to spend some time in person and shake hands. And so we're always willing to do that as part of our model. And then of course there's incredible trade shows in this space. I mean, agriculture is all about trade shows in the spring. And so we're at the national grain and feed. We're at these big farm cons and just, we try to be at as many places that make sense for our customer base as possible. So 
Hmm. What, what are, you know, the number one and or number two hesitations or pauses somebody might have, whether it's the individual operator on the farm or one of the corporate, what, what, what are some of their, what, their one or two big concerns? The corporate pushback, our customer is the grain company, right? They're all, initially, their pushback almost to a T is, well, we don't know if our farmers will use this tool. And uh, the truth is that they will. And we know that for a fact, across 200 companies in 2,000 locations, 40% of all the farmers that could be using the tool are using the tool on average. In some cases, our customers have 90 plus percent adoption of their farm operations using their tool because that's more efficient. And I think the biggest problem in the industry still today is there's a lot of this old school mentality, especially of the guys who've been in the business a long time, that farmers don't want this tool. Their answer is, well, we tried this 10 years ago and they didn't want it. So why would they want it now? Well, you didn't try it very well first. The tool was terrible. And now farmer Jane is paying her daughter with Venmo. That's just how they do business in real life. So why do you think that they're somehow 30 years behind when they're doing farming? Come on. And so this is the kind of challenge that we have. It's like, Mm -hmm. guys, um, you're in the way of your own customer doing business. Mm -hmm. And what we've, some of our customers, and this is direct quote, We used to think the farmer was the one who wasn't willing to adopt our tools. But what we've realized is that it's our own team that's been resisting change and in the way of making these things possible for the farmer. And we need to get out of our own way and let these tools become available so our farmers can can do the business the way that they want to do it. Let them choose. If they want to call you today, they will. But if they want to just check their contracts, they don't need to make a phone call and spend 30 minutes of their day uh, doing that when they probably need to be producing food for the world. So that's the kind of discussion that we get to have often, which is really fun. I mean, a lot of the companies that we work with are excited about making changes here. And it used to be a concern that the facility, the the that we would replace a job and somebody wouldn't have a job anymore. Now it's, there's nobody to replace this job and we need technology to do the job. It's one yeah. of the last places you can invest in and and do the job more efficiently with the same amount of people. Um, so that's the that's the opportunity. It's that it's that cat and mouse deal where people give us um, implied. If we're if we're only addressing their implied needs versus the explicit, we kind of can't get them to share how to get the deal done. It's that explicit needs thing. Um, it's, so it's it, it's everywhere. Um, before I get to a magic wand question. I read somewhere about you worked at a Dairy Queen. What, what, when you were at a Dairy Queen, what lessons did you take away from that job that you're still applying today? Well, I worked at the Rolla Dairy Queen when I was 14. That was a great job because I got to have as much chicken nuggets and ice cream and uh, particularly cookie dough was really good out of the freezer. You can, they had this massive box, like an entire box of cookie dough that goes into these blizzards. I, uh, I got to have all that anytime I wanted. That was probably the best part of the job. 
Um, thank God my metabolism was fast, fast enough back then. Or I would have had a lot of problems. Um, <laughs> I worked in the window, you know, you put the mic on and one person would come and they'd sound like a mouse and you could hardly tell what they were asking for. And you had to walk them through that and learn how to get them to communicate. And then the next guy would be screaming in the damn thing. And you're like, <laughs> what am I doing? And, and then I would work in the front till, learn how to count money, learn how to deal with people. But I think the biggest thing was dealing with people. I, I, I don't think it was a great job. I didn't, I don't think that would have been a good career choice for me, but the amount of people that I learned how to deal with and all of their problems that people have made me better at interacting with people. That was what I think the biggest gain I had was, um, I, I just, you know, you, you see the craziest stuff, right? Yeah. People are trying to write a check that bounces. People are trying to come up with the money they need. Maybe they're, um, they're back because they're upset that their chicken nuggets weren't cooked enough. You know, there's all kinds of challenges. And yeah, I think that was my biggest learning was that and getting up and being to work on time. Back then, nine o'clock was pretty early. Um, <laughs> so being being to work at nine o'clock for an opening at 11, you got two hours of work before you even open the store. Um, that was all good learning for me. Jake, this is an important period of time right now between inflation, input costs. Uh, some people say there's the possibility of some kind of a global food shortage in 2023. Um, and then just the rapid pace of change in every sector, but particularly in yours, because it's technology and things change, you know, every 12 months, if not sooner. Where, where do you see Bushel um, and the progress from today moving forward two years? Where do you think you'll be in two years? Oh, that's a good question. Two years is more achievable to think about than than five or 10 for sure. My hope is that in two years, what we're do what we've been putting in place the last four or five years is just part of the way that we do business in agriculture. It becomes an expectation to be paid electronically, that you have access to your contracts on the fly, that you haven't gotten a contract in the mail in a long time, um, that the farm operation is just like we always talk about um, – you know, being part of the daily life of the operation and the farm. How do we make our tools so valuable that they're just part of, you wake up in the morning and you check the news, you check the weather and you check your bushel tools to check what's going on with the with your operation and with the facilities. And I think we'll probably have grown a bit in terms of people, but we're actually starting to get to a point where we're scaling, you know, the customers and revenue without necessarily having to stack a lot of people. I think just, kind of 200 and some people today is a good sweet spot to, to kind of be comfortable in for a while. We've leveled up a lot of the team and built some skills, probably raise another round of funding um, between, and then we raised $75 million in, in capital raised to date um, uh, broadly. And then we're, we'll probably do one more round of funding and that progress. Our hope in five years is to, to be on a path to be an independent, maybe it's a publicly traded company, maybe it's under some other guys, but we think that the tools of Bushel need to be an independent um, offering from the industry. It can't be owned by a major egg company or something like this. This needs to be used broadly across the industry in as many places as possible with as little bias as possible. Possible. So that's our hope mm. and that our vision is still the same. We're trying to help move 
this digital revolution forward in agriculture, particularly how do we digitize the grain supply chain that feeds most of the world with the calories that we need. Magic wand question. If you could wave a magic wand, and some of it you just answered in a way, I guess. If you could wave a magic wand over the heads of the two different audiences that you reach out and talk to on a regular basis, what's the one thing you want them to know about Bushel and your contribution to helping them in that agriculture value chain system? What do you, what do you want them to really know? I want them to view this next cycle of technology and tools as a positive for their business and and for how they live their life. If we if if everything we are trying to do comes to reality, it should make life better for the farmer, easier for the company that they do business with, and in the end more efficient for what we do in the United States, which is help feed the world. And uh, I, I hope that they believe technology is part of that path and is part of where they want to invest and, and make change and not be resistant to it because something they did five or 10 years ago didn't work as well as they wanted. Because I think we're in the phase where the tools are actually valuable and actually solving problems. And there is those early days where it's a bleeding edge, where it hurts to try new technologies because it didn't work how it was supposed to. That's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about just real practical ways and if we could just get everybody to to get on board with that, I think it'll actually be good for all of agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, you know, your relatives who are farming today, your your friends, cousins, brothers, dad, etc., they need to be more efficient because there's only so much time in the day, and they are more and more responsible for larger and larger acres. And the facilities are more responsible for getting food where it needs to go when it needs to go there. There's only a few places you can make investments in. Technology is one of them. So. Hopefully get people to do that. I'll put this on MikeSeminary.com, the website BushelPower.com. Is there any other contact information that you want to share? Or is that good enough? People f- can find out everything they need to know by going to BushelPower.com. Yeah, and if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter, mostly tweeting about agriculture things and Elon Musk probably most of the time. Uh, is uh, Jake from Fargo on Twitter. So that would be another place. You could find me, tweet me, or message me there, and I'm happy to spend some more time. Well, by golly, Jake, thanks so much for joining me. But I learned a lot, and I'm thinking that the guy that worked at the Dairy Queen in the window learned how to communicate pretty well, and I don't think you need to be in a hurry to update that resume that your mom talked about. I think you're doing okay. <laughs> so, I, Jake, I, I, I just think what you're doing is amazing. I, I, seems to me like yesterday I was at the Reddit building listening to you talk about your company and uh, you're an impressive guy, impressive company. Appreciate you joining me today, Jake. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you letting me tell a little bit more of the story. You take good care. Thanks.